Hey there. Welcome to Mariner Monday, a special Mariners-focused edition of the Boy Meets World podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by the incomparable Phil Smeraldo, and we are going to break down for you today uh, the goings-on of the Mariners trade deadline, semi-eventful, semi-not, uh, as well as examining the uh, exact gap between the Astros, a very good baseball team, uh, and the Mariners, a very not good baseball team. Uh, we get frustrated about that, but not as frustrated as we get about the National League's de- designated hitter rule. It is time for that to go. Uh, hope you enjoy this one. I certainly did. We'll be back next week. Enjoy. Phil, you know it's going to be a good podcast when uh, when you bring your laptop out. It means you're actually, uh, there's there's facts behind what you're saying. I'm into it. I'm I'm ready to go. Uh, this I'm. It's our second week back, and I've, I've shook, shook off the rust, so I, I'm 100% ready. So you saying right before we hit record here, I'm going to take my laptop out, made me think about what percentage of the time do you have notes in front of you or or anything like that? No judgment. Well, it depends on if like what we talk about pre-show. Like if I'm pretty confident in what we're talking about and I know like where I want to go, I won't put out my laptop cuz I feel like I'm better that way and I'm not having to like frantically type stuff, but Just like if I don't him. know things about like for instance, we're going to talk about the bullpen guys that we got back for um Strickland and Elias and uh I guess the guy that we got back for Leak is a is a second baseman. But if I don't know a lot about them, then I'll bring out the laptop. So I'm I'm less confident about when I have my laptop out, but that could make for a better show. I had my laptop out for the famous Jake Fraley calling my shot. So great, great. You go. So that yeah. that you're just like the the horse that just refuses to have a saddle on. You just, you, I don't need it. I'm a bucking bronco, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Every ever since I first met you and you had the M sticker on your laptop and a Virginia Slim sticking out your mouth, I said this guy is a freaking bucking bronco. <laughs> can't be tamed <laughs> uh all right let's get into it three up three down the first one last week we talked about the trade deadline uh which was impending at that point and um some of what we predicted happened but uh, not quite all of it the mariners held on to domingo santana d gordon omar narvaez uh but they were able to get off of mike leak uh and then elvis or sorry and then uh, rowanis elias and then uh, raise your hand if you forgot about Hunter Strickland, because I have my hand raised right now. Um, I totally forgot he was even an option to trade, uh, but they offloaded him and Elias to the Nationals, and Mike Leak went to the Diamondbacks. What were your thoughts with those two deals? Well, the thing with Strickland is really sort of interesting, because from what I can see, the best return that they got out of any of the any of the guys they traded from Leak to Elias to Strickland was the guy they got for Strickland, which his name, he slots in at number 22 on our top 30 uh, prospects. His name is uh, something, Aaron. I think it's Aaron Fletcher? Is it mm. Aaron Fletcher? I don't know. Yeah, it's Aaron Fletcher. <laughs> I thought it was Again, just Gilbo, yeah. No, Gilbo was the guy they got. Uh, Gilbo Aaron Fletcher, Gilbo. yep, you're right. Gilbo and Alvarado were the guys they got for Elias. And Fletcher was the guy they got for Strickland. Yep. And you might as well just make that all one big trade because that's basically what it was anyway. Both trades were between the Nationals and the Mariners. But... I guess they were two separate trades, and the guy they got for Strickland was 
the guy who's now the highest ranked of all four of the guys they got back at the trade deadline and the only one who has a shot at actually being a starting pitcher. And as we've discussed in the past, you know, starting pitchers, if you can keep them as starting pitchers, have more value to your club than uh, than a reliever, even a really good reliever. Like an average starter is probably as valuable as like a top 10% reliever. That's just the way that's just the way the game is. Yeah, I'm looking at the, uh, at the the return on that about Fletcher and just saw a graphic that the Mariners put out that just says, thank you, Hunter Strickland. Um, for what? How, for tearing how, your lat? Yeah, for tearing your lat, for staying in. It's actually like, like screw you, Scott Service, for keeping Hunter Strickland in too long when he was clearly hurt. Remember uh, when we talked about that on that one podcast and both of us knew? Or we were talking, we were actually ta- texting via like while we were both watching that game because it was still early season and you know we were still in the race and both of us knew like right away from watching on tv that something was wrong with him how does a major league manager not realize that and that was the mariners i think that was their first loss of the season was to the red sox um, in the, the third game of the year yeah, that was interesting. And so I had totally written Strickland off so to be able to get any value out of him um, as a guy you brought brought in this season to help you win games or or the thought was that he might um, getting off of him despite his injury was 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 a big thing. Um, and then I think with the Mike Leak, we had talked about the the market had really shored up with the Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion trade showing us that getting off of big contracts entirely was just not going to happen. So they got off of $6 million. Each of the next two years with the leak deal, I think that that is probably the big uh, the big coup coming back from that from that contract. Right. I don't think the guy they got, Jose Caballero, apparently, yeah. So he's a second baseman, third baseman, and a shortstop. So he's kind of a utility guy. Um, let's see here. Let's look at his peripherals. Well, he's actually not. He's been playing pretty good actually. But he's, <laughs> so what's what what the problem is with him when? Oh, this is I guess a little bit of let's get smarter at, when you're looking at like Baseball Reference or something like that. Like, you look at him, and all of his OPSs are, like, 850 or above, and you'd think, why isn't this guy, like, a legitimate prospect? Why is there no more buzz about him when, like, Kelnick's OPS is, like, 900? That's pretty comparable. But then you always have to look at the age differential as compared to the league, right? Mm-hmm. So he's already three years older than the average person in the league he's playing right now. So if he's not putting up those numbers, he pro- he's probably out of baseball. So, like, yeah, it's good that he's hitting, but it's also not good that he's 23 years old and he's in rookie ball, basically. So you're talking about the uh, the kid that's in eighth grade, but he's actually 17 years old. Yeah, the Danny Almonte, if you will. <laughs> uh, yes, the Mariners just acquired Danny Almonte. Um, yeah, I don't... You know Danny Almonte was in the Mariners system at one point? Of course he was. Um, yeah. I would expect nothing different. But, yeah, the uh, the the return here is, is middling, but I think the, the whole offloading of Leak, Elias, Strickland, um, and then dating back to Bruce and Carnacion, all those guys, you just add bullets to the chamber with this farm system of the more potential you have in there, the bigger your denominator is, assuming the same percentage of prospects are going to make it through, uh, the higher chance that you found a major leaguer out of... The bullet in the chamber analogy is a really good one, actually, because it's just like, you have, it's almost like, you know how every with like the Seahawks, they always trade their first round pick and everyone always gets mad about that. And they're like, well, why do you keep doing that? Well, it's a good strategy because like, you're just, you're just giving yourself more darts to throw at the dartboard. You know, it's not, yeah. it, it's not a bad thing to do. I mean, granted your uh, bullseye gets a little smaller, the farther down you go, but having more darts is never a bad thing. And I, I, I would be 
I would be unbelievably happy if two out of these four guys ever made the major league roster. Uh, even one would probably be a good, a good return. But the fact that they're giving themselves a chance is really all you can ask for. Yeah, the football analogy is an interesting one because it, it really is like trading seventh round picks um, in baseball where that isn't an option uh, to go acquire picks like that. Um, that doing this type of trade where you're just you know giving something that doesn't have any value to you that something has a, a 2% chance of, of popping um, is is all that you're trying to get done. So uh, yeah, an interesting strategy and and I think that I was going to talk about how, you know, uh, Domingo Santana are still, is still here, D. Gordon, Narvaez. Um, you and I had both talked about that this does not mean that these are future Mariners and lifelong Mariners. I think that uh, tra- Trader Jerry's powers only grow exponentially in the winter months. He, yeah, he, uh, I would fully expect Domingo Santana to be traded by the end of December. And I think the big thing that everyone's speculating is the the elbow injury that he had really hurt his value going forward because how bad he was in the outfield just got exa- you know just got exacerbated by the fact that now he might not even be able to throw the ball for another month or so. So that took all the NL teams out of play, and then the AL teams, you know, they needed a D that needed a DH like the Indians and the Rays. They they went elsewhere. The the market dried up for Domingo, and they probably weren't going to get the return that they can get this winter. So probably a good idea to hold on to him. Yeah, and and Depoto's trade history in in the winter months is well documented. Taiwan Walker traded November. The Drew Smiley trade was a January trade. D Gordon December. Cano was in December. James Paxton November. Zanino in November. Gene Segura in December. So um, a lot of work will get done in this this fall and winter. Um, once the World Series is over, to to try and move these guys and, and to, to to rearrange, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the names that have come in um, through these Bruce trades in Carnacion, um, if those kind of get amalgamated into prospect for prospect deals um, as as well, because there's just more more for exactly. For to work and that's with. the other thing that I think people need to realize is it sounds bad, but you almost have to treat like prospect capital like raw material. The more raw material you have the more you can package together and make an enticing offer for maybe a higher end uh, pro like, you know, it's like the one red cl- paperclip type thing. You, you start with one small thing and then you keep building it and building it and building it. And eventually you can trade it for something else. So like, you just kind of have to look at it, not like, Oh, why are the Mariners getting five relief pitchers? It's more like the Mariners just put added a little more talent to their system. It really doesn't matter what position they are, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it'll it may become fodder for another trade, or it may turn into a, uh, a major league player. But either way, I'm I'm totally fine with the moves that were done. Um, let's talk to about the second point here, and this you know a lot of people listening to this podcast might want us to to have started with this is the fact that the Mariners got no hit over the weekend uh, by the Houston Astros for the second time. Um, that uh, is not great, but I think that the the result of the side of not putting up a single hit on Saturday is not as important to me as the quantitative and qualitative massive gulf between uh, the quality of baseball that the Mariners put out there and the Houston Astros. Not surprising yeah. given the, the direction that these franchises are currently in. The Astros are, are literally at the peak of, of baseball um, you know, a, a performance here while the Mariners are trying to get there, but you got to bottom out first. But given the timeline that Jerry DePoto himself has put out that the 2021 season um, is is going to be the season, I don't know if this gulf between the Mariners and the Astros is a 13-month gulf. 
No, it's it's definitely not. And he can say 2021 to get competitive, and that's fine. They might be competitive in 2021. I actually believe they probably will be competitive in 2021. But they're not – There's and the Astros will be coming down a little bit. But like you said, there's such a massive chasm in talent between the two organizations right now that they're not going to catch him in 2021. Maybe not even in 2022, but there will be a time. I know it probably feels like – it's never going to come when you watch just how good the Astros are with Correa and Bregman and Springer and all those guys. But there will be a time that comes where they're going to have to make some hard roster decisions. Altuve is going to be getting older. Correa is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Bregman's going to get there. They're going to lose Garrett Cole this offseason. So the core of the team is not going to be there forever. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this 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 uh, this sun will will have to expire for for Houston at some point. Um, Which but, is why that talking about that Granky thing really quickly. That was why everyone who's a Mariners fan has to be really. I know it feels like counterintuitive, but everyone who's a Mariners fan should be really happy that they just went and sold out for Zach Granky this year. Mm-hmm. The more the more they make win now moves in the years that the Mariners are not competitive, that's only going to help us down the line. So going back to that thirteen month golf, like. It's I we I've said this multiple times, but that was that was going to be something that that Depoto I think will ultimately regret, and whether it will end up costing him his job or not is is yet to be seen. But Houston, after being like a middling eighty win team, went seventy or they were seventy four wins, seventy six wins, and then they tore it down to the studs. Fifty six wins, fifty five wins, fifty fifty one wins, and then seventy wins, and then they made the playoffs in two thousand fifteen for the first time. Six seasons of of bottoming out before they are a playoff team. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's the path the Mariners want to go down. 50, 50 wins is brutal, right? You never that's that's well. That's, but here's the thing with that is the Astros when Lunau took over, they their cover was just barren. They had nothing to trade. Even stripping it down to the studs yep. didn't give them really much of anything. What the Mariners did, which again we've talked about this at length, is they got out in front of the rebuild. They had a lot of attractive trade chips this offseason, and they unloaded the chamber, you know. And 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 now you see guys like Jared Kelnick and Justin Dunn and all these other guys that they got to spark the rebuild and hopefully cut down the time from hopefully not six years, but maybe three years, four mm-hmm. years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's that's certain to be true. But uh, let me ask you this. if uh, Would you be okay if Jared Kelnick, as a prospect – Tops out as how good Jared or George Springer is currently. Mm, honestly, I hate putting like an expectation on him that's so unrealistic. But that would feel slightly, slightly disappointing, wouldn't it? I mean, right? I'd probably take it if you were telling me like right now that's guaranteed. But it would still probably feel a little disappointing. So okay, I'm I I think that like that's a realistic. You know, like it could be much, much worse than George Springer. He could end up as just a a, a, a really, you know, he could end up as Michael Saunders, right? But, but George Springer would be a pretty dang good outcome, I think. Not a, not oh. quite a centerpiece, but a really, really good player. Mm-hmm. George Springer broke in when he was twenty four years old. Obviously, a different type of prospect. Springer went to college. Kellenic didn't. Um, but I just still just think this this whole timeline of when we can even expect Kellenic to to be there and be a true big time major league contributor. Like we're going to be, th- we're going to be 30 years old before, before Jared Kellenick is a major league, like 
true all-star level player if if he does if he even even if he reaches that yeah it's 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 a little tough to swallow when you think about no, it. no it's like tough that. to swallow but i mean the the other option is no fun either and yeah. the other option is try and keep piecing piecing teams together and putting band-aids over your roster holes and just hoping that that works out and running 170 million dollar payrolls and winning 82 83 84 games yep. a year and hoping maybe that you'll make the wild card one of these years if everything breaks right I'd I'd rather go through the two or three years of pain now, and we're already we're already one year through it. We're already done with one year of pain, so it's not that bad. It's gonna get better, and that's the thing is like it's going to get better because we're going right now. This is the worst year of the rebuild is when you just see no hope. But next year you're gonna start seeing a little influx of young talent and a little more and a little more, and you're gonna be like, okay, there there's hope here. So this year is definitely the darkest year. I I would assume. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller, but I would assume this will be the darkest year if that gives anybody some hope. Not to say next year or even the year after that are going to be amazing, but this will be by far the darkest year of the of the rebuild. Yeah, and there's watching there's, Keon Broxton play center field is dark. There's been more talented Mariners teams that have have uh, been almost more depressing because they're just not going anywhere. The the Mike Sweeney led teams uh, would be a great example of that. Um, but it's still, I mean it. For for the the four, four or five years of suffering, this is going to have to take to get to where the Mariners want to be. For the idea that you know that could be a decade of sustained success, close to what the Astros have have right now, that's why you do it, not just so you can have one good 100 win season. Um, and so so it's it, you just have to completely change your expectations of, and say this is you know a, a work in pro, pro, progress rather than um, a quick couple year thing but you know we've known that for a while but when you really think about it and compare where the Astros are being kind of the destination the Mariners would like to be it's tough because you go bullet for bullet with what the Astros have in future assets and current assets even a guy like Alex Bregman um, who's you know 25 years old right now uh, the Mariners don't have a single player that you could say is or a single prospect is as sure of a thing as Bregman is now right no it's true I mean so I guess I have a couple questions for you then. Yes. Okay. So I was doing some research on Jerry DePoto and his tenure as, you know, because he has actually a long track record of being a GM. Yep. So we have a lot of data on him, right? Or data, but yeah. Take that for data. <laughs> exactly. Take that for data. Look at that cross-sport. Um, you say? Um, I looked it up, and he's never actually – gone through never willingly put a team through a rebuild because the years he had with the angels first years he had there he signed Pujols to that massive contract he signed josh hamilton to a massive contract he's which yeah uh, yikes both of those are just not good that was a long-term um, place to set up the mariners to to be in a better place than the yeah <laughs> but my question to you is when are we going to decide if he is a good rebuilder because this is really the first time he's ever rebuilt a team yeah. What, what 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 year is it? Twenty twenty, where we're going to decide if he's doing a good job with the rebuild, or twenty twenty one? What? Because this year it's too early to tell. Obviously, we don't know anything. This year it just started. And when he when, when he interviewed get- when he interviewed for the job, it was he, his sales pitch was not to rebuild this team. That was that was not what he was selected for to do. It was selected for bringing this Felix and Kyle Seeger era into the playoffs, um, and that was what he was hired to do. That's what all the interview questions were probably about is how do you make us get there? So him pivoting is admirable and totally the right thing to do. But 
not for nothing. But when do we judge it? When when can we start judging it? What markers do we judge him on? Because it's certainly not going to be wins for the next couple of years, at least. Yeah, I mean, is is it having a really talented Double A team? Like, I think I think that that the the amount of talent that's on that Double A roster, the Travelers, the right Arkansas now, team, yeah, is yeah. is is promising. It's astounding. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's better than the alternative of not having that. So I mean, they're um, far and away the best team in Double A right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and not because they have a bunch of Daniel Montes on that roster. It is, it is. Yeah, no, it's actually good young talent. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that that check one, I guess we're there. But you're totally right. I mean, this is this is something that Depoto is probably doing somewhat on the fly and not not what he ever in, intended to do. Um, so there's going to be some pains along the way. Whereas the Astros, that whole thing was done from the get go. This was the plan, all la Sam Hankey. <laughs> Um, in, in Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, again, this is a we'll see thing, but every time we play the Astros, I'm going to feel the same way, especially when Jordan Alvarez comes up to, to bat for the Astros. You look at him, he has an RBI in every single game he's played this year. Uh, he's 22 years old. Um, yeah, that's pretty stark. That makes it look pretty stark. And, like, and the Mariners don't have a single guy in the last five, ten years that's been like a transcendent talent like that. And they just seemingly pull these guys out of nowhere. It's it's just frustrating. And uh, you read about the Zach, Zach Greinke trade, and a lot of people are, are saying the Astros didn't have to give up their two best prospects to pull that off. Okay, I was that was my second question to you, though. Are those guys even good prospects? I've been following them a lot, a lot this year. Do you want to guess what uh, Forrest Whitley, their number one prospect, is doing in AAA this year? Uh, like, what am I guessing? OPS or what? No, he's a pitcher, so oh, okay. is he right? Uh, I don't know. Probably just based off of the way that the question is phrased, like a 5-1 ERA. His ERA is north of 12. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't get it because, you know, so much was made and – of Justice Sheffield, they're in the same league. Granted, the PCL is like a hitter's paradise where everyone has super high ERAs, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But so much was made of you know Justice Sheffield having like a 5.5 ERA and demote him and this and that. Why is this Forrest Whitley guy just getting a free pass? I don't understand that. And I've been trying to look in the numbers, and I still don't understand it. Probably the same reason that J.P. Crawford got a free pass for a couple years as well, um, and that the, the talent is still there, and that there's all the things that were written about them when they broke in still exists. Right. It just hasn't been put together. And the other guy, their number two prospect, Kyle Tucker is not doing that much better. So I don't, I don't, I think the whole prospect rankings thing, like obviously, you know, the number one guy is going to be better than the number 20 guy, 99.9% of the time. But I feel like it should be more tiered. Like the Astros, what we have to look at what the Astros gave up for the, for Granky is they gave up three of their top five uh, three of their top four, honestly, or three, no, three of their top five prospects. So it's more of uh, they gave up three guys in their first tier, or two guys in their first tier and one guy in their second tier, something like that. So mm-hmm. not necessarily they didn't have to give up the first two. Yeah, yeah, and, and kind of the opposite of what we led this off of the Mariners are adding bullets to the chamber, the Astros are taking them away, meaning that they're, you know, you would hope that that would help this whole thing fizzle out. But uh yeah, you would hope. You would hope. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to give it a rosy spin, but like the Astros scare me. I feel like they're one of those teams that could be good forever. <laughs> yeah, and and they should because they they did it right and they have a ton of talent and they've you know like just just looking at that roster and you know we talked about this over text. I don't think there's a single Mariner they want. Um, maybe outside Marco Gonzalez to be their long reliever um, in in the current role. Maybe maybe Volkabach off the bench, but. It's uh, when you think about it that way, it just shows 
One more time. This is going to be a long ride, folks. Yeah, but I feel like if they had, like, I don't know. If they had, like, Eric Swanson and they just got Eric Swanson, I feel like they would just turn him into a Cy Young caliber <laughs> yeah. starter. Very true. Because, you know? Very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, they, they, they have something going right, and hopefully I think the M's would, would uh, willfully aspire to um, to get to the point that they are. Let's move on to the third thing here, and this is kind of related to the M's idea of, of future assets because at the beginning of the season – um, it was kind of debatable whether you could talk about Yusei Kikuchi as a prospect um, and whether he's he's just a part of your roster or do you consider him basically part of your farm system uh, because it, he's still developing. He's never going to pitch in AAA uh, for a full season, but he's still uh, developing as, as a major leaguer just on the roster. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi has had a, a year that he would like to forget. Uh, lots of homers for Yusei, the most allowed in baseball um, and not that many innings. Uh, <laughs> plenty of guys have thrown more than he has. Uh, did the Mariners have a Yusei Kikuchi problem, or are you totally fine with the uh, the bumps along the way here? Uh, I I was thinking about this one kind of a lot. This is the one that probably I go back and forth on the most. His peripheral numbers, like his strikeouts, his walks, all that stuff are terrible. Yeah, They're terrible. <laughs> he, he walks way too many people. He gives up way too many home runs, and he doesn't strike out enough guys. I don't know if that's simply something you can just poo-poo and say, oh, that's just an, uh, an adjustment to the major leagues because those numbers are way, way worse than what he was doing in Japan. And some guys, we've seen it throughout history, cannot translate their success from Japan, like Daisuke Matsuzaka, perfect example. Some guys cannot translate their success from Japan into the majors. I'm willing to give him another year, but if by this time next year or by the All-Star break next year, he's still not producing – you know, even let's call it a four, a 4.0 ERA or lower. Then I'll start to get worried that this is maybe not, not a good fit. I don't know why I had this, um, this like thought, but, but stay with me on this analogy. Okay. Uh, when I was a sophomore at Skyline, we, at the beginning of the year, they hired a stand-up comedian to come in and she was like, she was so like abysmally bad but it was hard to know because obviously she's like a, a stand-up comedian and she, and has had some modicum of success somewhere for her to have an appearance fee uh, that the school willfully paid for to have her come. And right. It's, it's, so it's like I the, see where you're going. Yeah. The, the crowd of where she was playing before and was accustomed to, she had a shtick and it was working there. And then she goes to do the exact same thing at – a a affluent high school in on the east side of Seattle and it, the shtick doesn't work anymore and so you have to know that going in that it's going to to require some adapting um however both Kikuchi and uh unnamed comedian haven't done the necessary adapting to succeed at this level and so I think that that Ryan Davis did a really good job of documenting this in his last mailbag of how um he gets ahead in counts he throws the slider can't throw for strikes. Nobody takes the slider seriously, and so he can't get anyone out uh, by striking them out, and he doesn't throw hard enough to go throw anything past people. Um, and so when you don't have really a way of getting outs, and your only way to do that is just to throw in the strike zone, uh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get rocked. Yeah, I mean, remember how interesting it was? Uh, I think we were talking, this was preseason though, we were talking about how there was a soundbite from Jerry Depoto about how 
Kikuchi was throwing too much in the. I think it was in spring training. He was throwing too much in the strike zone. Do you mm-hmm. remember we discussed that? Yeah. Yep. It almost feels like the season has been a complete inversion of that. His out pitch, he never throws it for a strike. He never throws the slider for a strike. So it's basically a wasted pitch. Anytime someone sees the slider coming, they just know to lay off it. And being a starter with basically pitches, a uh, fastball changeup is not, or I guess, what does he have? He has a splitter? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But only having basically two pitches and negating your third pitch is never going to be a recipe for success. So he needs to learn how to throw that for a strike. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, again, there's some, there's some, something has to give here. Some, something has to change with his repertoire um, in order to to get guys out in the major leagues. And that's, that's just as, as plain and simple. Luckily this season comes with zero stakes. And so it's kind of this just experimental trial that you have. Exactly. I'm willing to write this season off. I'm totally willing to write this season off for him as him just getting comfortable in the majors. But like I said, next season, he's got to start showing some productivity. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I am as well. I think that there's a lot of things to just forget about this Mariners season, including the no hitter on Saturday. Um, but, uh, but the Kikuchi thing is something that I'm, I'm willing to see pass, but, uh, not, I'm, I'm tepid about for, for, uh, for next season. Uh, Phil, let's get a little smarter though. You are excited to, to teach us about something. Uh, and this seems interactive. You said, I'll be excited about the tool. Um, and I don't know if you're talking about the, the release of, uh, all of tools music on Spotify. Um, I don't know. And you... tools coming out with a new album too. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't know you're a tool fan until right now, but good to hear. Yeah, I'm a huge tool fan. Yeah. Well done. Uh, we'll talk. To, we'll talk tool at some point. Um, that no one will have to listen to that. But uh, I also love Jeff Tool. Do you? No, I don't even know who that is. I just know the name. Good quarterback. Who is Jeff Tool? What is Jeff Tool? Who is that? What is what is Jeff Tool? He uh, he played quarterback for the Cougars like when we were. Uh, Sophomores, juniors in college. Oh, I thought he was like a politician or something. I just saw his name a couple times. Probably future governor of Montana um, uh, at some point. But uh, but yeah, let's get smarter. What do you got for us? Okay, so for anyone who loves trades, which I, if you are a Mariners fan and you're a fan of Jerry Depoto, that's just a given. There is a website called BaseballTradeValues.com. And so this is amazing because, you know, when you're on forums or even me and you are spitballing ideas like, oh, they should do this or the Mariners should do that. And inevitably someone comes and makes just some ridiculous like trade proposal, like the Yankees should trade, I don't know, some like scrub for Madison Bumgarner. You know, you hear that on talk radio a lot, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, they should trade this scrub for Bumgarner and the Dodger and the Giants will be happy to do it and stuff like that. Right. Yep. So this website, Baseball Trade Values, uses, I believe they use the fan graphs. So you know how we were talking about the future values with fan graphs, like 35 plus, 40, 45, whatever? Yep. They use a future values system similar to fan graphs, but they assign a number value to everybody in both your major league and your minor league system. And that takes into account, you know, the years of control they have left or if their contract's prohibitive. So like, for instance, uh, let's say, I don't know who's got a big con, like Bryce Harper. He would be, if he was on like a controlled, like rookie deal, he would be a huge, huge surplus value to any team because they're not paying him a lot. But because he has this massive contract, his value is actually in the negatives now. So basically they assign a value to every player uh, based on like their contract, their production, their age, all of that kind of stuff. And then what you do is you take two teams and you try and line them up so that the values of players will match. Mm -hmm. 
And if that, does that make sense? Yeah. So, so you're trying to equate a, a actual fair trade based off of the net present value of a player. Exact, exact. Couldn't have put it better myself. So let's say one team is a seller at the deadline and one team's a buyer at the deadline. And you're a fan of, let's say you're the fan of the Yankees. We'll use the Bumgarner example. And they want to get Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner, even with his contract, still has positive NPV, like you said, net present value. So I think his value might be like, a, let's call it 20. And you're the Yankees and you don't want to give anything up off your major league roster because you're pushing for the postseason and you don't want to hurt actively hurt the team that's actually trying to get there. So you have to go into your minor league uh, cachet and look at players who are ranked highly, like I bet uh, Estevan Floriel for the Yankees and uh, I don't know who else is good in their farm system. But those guys have a lot of future value because they have rookie contracts, they're controllable, stuff like that. And you have to kind of add, you have to get it to 20. You have mm-hmm. to add to 20. But the, the, the system's smart because it doesn't let you just put in 20 guys who maybe have one point, you know, because no team's going to take 20 guys who are just like flyers and let you trade that for Bumgarner. So I think it has. there's a certain number of players you can trade for, and there's a certain number of players that have to come back. And it makes the whole um, practice and the whole academic exercise, let's say, of trading a lot smarter and a lot better so you can actually see, okay, let's say the Mariners want to trade Mitch Hanniger. What could we realistically get back? And it's not perfect. It's not one-to-one. You know, sometimes teams will overpay. Sometimes teams will underpay. But it's a pretty good starting point to see what you could approximately expect if you were to trade one of your players. This uh, is fantastic. I haven't quite figured out in the three minutes we've been talking about it how to actually get the simulator to work. But I'm on the trade boards tab, and this is baseballtradevalues.com. And people can post uh, trades that they have made that have essentially gone out and, and like been deemed successful. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's just a running tab of those. And so people are psychos, eh, and are just po- posting this stuff all the time. The first one I see here is the Phillies acquiring uh, Matt Festa, Kyle Seeger, Dom Tos- Thompson-Williams, and Cash, uh, while the Mariners get uh, three middling prospects back from the Phillies. But Which with, is honestly probably what you'd expect from those three guys, right? But it's amazing because the uh, the Se- how negative is Seager's value? <laughs> the Seager value is negative twenty three point two. Makes sense. And the cash they would have to to equate for it uh, is twenty four. Um, whereas Matt Boyd on the other side of my screen right now, I was it, about to say your 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 brother Matt Boyd has a huge value. Cousin, um, actually, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Matt Matty B has thirty one point seven present value. Um, the Red Sox acquiring him would would uh, would ask for a pretty big haul coming back to the Tigers from that. So yeah, this is this is pretty awesome, and I'm gonna have a lot of fun playing with this, especially as I said once uh, once Trader or Warlock Jerry <laughs> becomes uh, the, the the full moon shines in the off season, um, and we start going nuts with potential trades. Not that the Mariners have a lot that they would like to trade. I mean, we kind of covered all the potential options they have, but uh, it is interesting what it would take to acquire Mookie Betts, who has a, a present value of, of, like, what am I seeing here, 66? Um, so, yeah. So do you want to take awesome. a guess who has the highest uh, – The highest? I, I already know the answer, but do you know who has the highest value of any player in the majors right now? Is it Trout or Guerrero? It's not Trout because his contract. Uh, You're close with Guerrero, but it's actually Tatis Jr. Oh, the, the Padres kid, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is nails. He's going to be very good. 
So, but anyway, if you're interested or anyone who's listening to this is interested, they actually did a, uh, like a postmortem assessment of how their uh, tool stacked up against the real trades that happened at the deadline. Like, because obviously you want to judge it against what's really happening in the real world or else it's just not a good uh, predictor, right? And their, their, their uh, program actually did really, really well in making fair trades. Uh-huh. So it's something that GMs don't use this tool, obviously, but it's something that is a good, at least the, it's in the right ballpark when guessing the values and how GMs value certain players. Yes. The, uh, wow, the Mariners' best asset in in this on the major league roster that would be marco gonzalez yeah i could buy that what's he probably he's probably around 25 or 30 67 whoa that's way higher than i thought or i guess no 39.6 that's still higher than i thought his his uh yeah his his yeah this is i gotta i gotta play with this more but this yeah this is fun i like uh i like the let's get smarter here tools are 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 fun to play with and knowing knowing where to go to spend your time when you want to research baseball uh is important is I I don't know, but now that you're on the web now that you're on the website, will you tell me? I'm guessing uh, Kelnick is the overall organizational leader in 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 points. Uh, let me switch the miners view here, Phil, and uh, yes, Kelnick at fifty point six, uh, Julio Rodriguez at twenty six, followed by Sheffield, Evan White, Logan Gilbert. Uh, Justin Dunn and Shed Long. That makes sense. I mean, so I mean, like it's it passes the sniff test, you know. It like realistically, that's probably where I'd put those guys too, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right in line with what we've seen and been talking about for uh, ad nauseum when we talk about Mariners prospects. So well done. Uh, I am a big fan of this. Appreciate that. Uh, let's go around the league, and I want to. This was not in the agenda, so feel free to um, to take a, a big gasp and say, "Man, I need a second to talk about this or think about this." Um, but with uh, with Rowanis Elias's injury at the plates the other night, mm-hmm. c- can I ask definitively why the hell is there not a designated hitter in the National League? It is the far and away the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about I don't need a second to talk about or think about this because I know what my answer <laughs> it's is. so I, dumb. I am so anti pitchers hitting. It just doesn't. I, it's like oh, people will people will argue like it's so fun to watch a pitcher like hit a home run or whatever yeah it is fun and i like i'll watch like a highlight of a pitch like bartolo cologne hitting that home run was absolutely legendary i yes. agree but just like let's say there's you're you're in the top of the third and the bases are loaded and there's one out and your pitcher comes to the plate it's just like you're bailing the other pitcher out of the game because he doesn't he's gonna strike the guy out he's gonna like actually bear down and not give him anything good to hit and he's gonna strike him out and it's just not the way that baseball should be played it's just like a circumvention of the spirit of the game like everybody who's at the plate should have a realistic chance to hit the ball it makes the game more fun it makes everything more fun so the um the 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 idea that Major League Baseball has been juicing balls with with or without people knowing it for the last couple of years to increase the amount of offense in baseball, um, but won't do this is absolutely it's insane. It, it's it's a, pitchers are horrible, and they're horrible because they they are supposed to be horrible because they're supposed to be good at the uh, the other thing that they're supposed to do. You would ne- like it's the same thing that when you have. Um, you know, Austin Nola come and pitch the ninth when you're down 12 nothing. He's terrible. It's because he's not supposed to be good at it because uh, it's not his job and hasn't been his job since he was so, probably 12 years old. You know what it's like? It's like if in the NFL, 
they just decided, okay, so the NFC gets to keep the rules the exact same. But, oh, by the way, now the AFC, the starting safety also has to play uh, running back. It's it was, like no, why? Why that is ridiculous? Why does he have to do both? It's not. It's a specialized sport, just like baseball. Basketball is different because it's not specialized. You just expected to play both offense and defense, just like soccer. But games where there's specialized positions, you shouldn't be expected to do both. And so I looked at the DH rule, and we're going to ask you our other uh, around the league topic because we're going to keep talking about this because it's so dumb. I uh, do have. Uh, I did make a list on the other around the league topic. I'll give you the teams after this. I'll give you the teams I'd definitely rather be. Okay, great. Um, so the the DH rule came into effect in 1973, and I looked before that of just just briefly at a couple couple of American League teams in 1972 to see if they had pitchers that were just raking that all of a sudden that it was taken away from them. And the answer is no. It's guys named like Skippy Gilberg who are hitting 212 in 100 plate appearances with like a two doubles and a homer that whole season. Um, pitchers in 1972 were not good batters, and so they took it away, and the National League just said no. And who would have thunk 47 years of specialization since then, pitchers suck at hitting, and there's no point of having them there. Going back to the original point, Elias gets hurt in a situation that he should never be in, hitting as a reliever, um, something that he hasn't done in a long time because he's been pitching. Probably ever. Pitching, yeah, honestly, pitching in the American League for his, his entire Major League career. Uh, as he's coming back to the dugout with holding his hamstring, multiple Phillies are throwing cups down in, in the dugout because of how stupid it is that he's out there and the guy that they just traded for that might help them win games was neutralized because of the dumbest rule in sports. I, I mean, yeah, you, you, I, I have nothing left to add. Although the one thing I will add is, you know who does rake as a pitcher who just got it taken away from him? Granky. Yeah, Zach yeah. Granky does kind of rake. I mean, raking by a pitcher's standard is like a twenty-five W. <laughs> this is, excuse me. This, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting fired up. This is how bad pitchers are. <laughs> Most pitchers have a negative WRC plus. Yes, and negative. Uh, and ninety-five is bad. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's insane, dude. I, I, I can't believe how backwards baseball is um, and can continue to pull the, the sheet over its face and, and, and call this crap every single year when it's this, there's no justifying it other than tradition. <laughs> and what will happen is they'll switch it. Eight people will be mad on Twitter, including like Peter Gammons and four other people who are – Yeah, you know, Kirkton. Tim Kirkton will be yeah. mad for like a minute. Yeah, and then they'll realize this should have happened a long time ago. This would make everything better. Doesn't make the World Series suckier because of when the AL team has to go to the NL Park. It's and and completely neutralize something that's been a part of. Like, imagine if the Twins make the World Series this year and they can't play Nelson Cruz. That would yeah, that would suck. You're hurting roster constructions, is what you're doing. By the way, I swear you're clairvoyant, or you've got like some psychic ability. Because last week we were talking about something, and I was watching a game, and what you were talking about had just come onto the TV. Do you know what I'm watching right now? Uh, a 1972 baseball game? No, I'm watching the Cubs play the Oakland A's in Wrigley, and they just flashed the stats. The A's pitcher is hitting for the first time. They just flashed his stats. Do you want to guess what his stats are <laughs> as a hitter? Uh, like 091 with a double? Oh, it's much worse than that. <laughs> He's 0 for 5 in his career with 5 strikeouts. There you go. Probably 15 swings total. In yeah. That. 
yeah, it's it's bad. It's so so bad. Um, yeah, I can't believe it. There's there's no if this goes on one more season, I'm. Uh, it's it's fourteen. It's literally forty seven seasons too long. I would be so mad to be a fan of a National League team. I'm so glad we're fans of an AL team. Hey, it would help with uh, with concession sales though, because you would know when to get up and and to to go get. That's a beer. true. <laughs> That's why they do it. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, that it's it's dumb. It's really dumb. Uh, well, the, I'll give you an update. The, he just sacrificed, bunted the guy over. So that's probably the best outcome that could have possibly happened is giving away an out. Yeah, best outcome, honestly, a pitcher going up to bat and getting not getting hurt is the best possible outcome. Um, which is a stupid, stupid thing. Uh, the original around the league segment that we had was how many American League teams would you rather be than the Mariners for the next five years? Uh, give me your list of American League teams with a brighter future than the Seattle Mariners. Okay, for the next five years, there's four teams that I would definitely say yes. Okay. Houston, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, and New York. Okay. Not... And then I have the maybe list, Okay. which is four more teams. Oakland, Boston, Toronto, uh, and the Angels. Those wow. are like toss-ups, whether I'd be them or the Mariners. And what then uh, the rest of the league, I would say definitely not. Cleveland, Detroit, Baltimore, Kansas City, Texas, Chicago. What about the White Sox? Chicago. Oh, okay. Not. Okay. Uh, definitely not them, despite them having been terrible for the last three years. I just did the AL. I just did the AL, not the NL. Well, the White Sox having been terrible for the yeah. last three years. They have been, but they have like a worse. They have a worse system than we do. I don't believe in their ownership at all. I think their GM's kind of a putz. So I'd, I'd definitely rather be the Mariners than Chicago. Okay, so so the Mariners yeah. uh, in twenty twenty four may be the, the the fifth best team in the American League. Yeah, I mean Houston, just Houston is Houston. Uh, Minnesota's already good this year. Plus they have a good farm system. Tampa Bay has the best. Uh, front office in all of baseball in my opinion and new york just has unlimited resources so those are why i picked those four teams yep yep i was right in there the the jays have obviously a lot of young talent including including guerrero um just the, the a's ability to keep churning out guys like chapman is is incredible mm-hmm. uh, that's why i said oakland as a maybe and then i think with with the angels having otani and trout makes you immediately eligible for this discussion um no matter how bad everything else is but the definitely nots I'll talk about for just a second. Cleveland, that's like the worst run franchise. I don't know how they've been good. They're like so poor. they are so poorly run. They're so cheap, and they just—I mean—they've gotten—they've gotten some good players throughout the years. Lindor and and you know Ramirez, uh, Clipper yeah. and yeah, whatever. But like, I would not want to be a Cleveland fan. Detroit, no. Baltimore, obviously not. Kansas City, I don't even know what they're doing besides getting guys who can run all over the place. Texas, uh, no. And Chicago. There you go. All right. Well, I feel better now. Yeah, um, there you go. Step back for a second. Uh, do you want to make stuff up about Elvis Alvarado and, and Taylor uh, Gilbo Baggins? Gilbo Baggins. I saw that in the pre pre pod notes, and I, I it gave me a chuckle. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that, that Gilbo will be the first guy that we see at yep. the major league level. These probably out of this bullpen. year. Probably this year. You're probably going to see him this year. Um, I, again, I'm not really sure about any of these guys, so take them with all with a grain of salt. That's why I have my laptop out. But Gilbo has uh, a good fastball from what I've seen. He averages 96, and he can get up to 98, which is good for a reliever. I don't really know what his second pitch is, though. So that's not good because it's not anything that, like, anyone's scouted or been like, hey, this guy has a really good this or whatever. 
So, I don't know. He's a. I think he's a lefty. Let me look him up really quick. Yeah, I'm he, pretty sure he's left-handed. Yeah, he is, yep. Yeah, I mean, a lefty who can throw 96, that's awesome. Anytime you can get that, that's really cool. And, so, uh, that there's obviously some value there. Let's see. Let's see how he's done this year. Two point. Okay. This guy's pretty, you know, you know, he's 26 years old, but he has it in the PCL, which like we were just talking about, you know, has a, a huge, uh, a huge offensive. It's like a power hitters haven. Everyone there hits home runs, uh, but he's putting up a 2.31 ERA. Uh, he strikes out a lot of guys too. So, I mean, he's not bad. I mean, it'll be interesting, but honestly, you don't really know with these guys until you see them. Like we all thought Dan Altavilla was going to be really good for a long time because he had the spin rate and this and that, and he kind of sucks. So it's tough to tell with him. I did. I, I'm sure. I'm sure you've had something like that. Like I heard everything you just said, um, but you saying PCL reminded me of a PCL team called the formerly Las Vegas 51s who switched to the Las Vegas Aviators, which is really unfortunate because Las Vegas 51s, had they kept that name, would have been an incredible year for the 51s. I don't know if you've paid attention at all. Uh, I've seen, so there's some there's some hubaloo about like... Uh, like storming uh, Area, Area 51. 51. Yeah. Yes. Why? What are they trying to get? They're trying to figure out what's in there. It's it's like government protected property and no one knows. So had, had so the 51s... Really quick tangent, really quick side note. Sure. If there was really like a government secret lab or whatever where they keep all these secrets, do you think it would be as well publicized as Area 51? As soon as anyone found out about it, they'd obviously just move their whole facility to like fucking Alaska or something, right? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Area 51 is a real thing and people cannot go there. Really? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm. But what if someone flew like a drone over it? Just shot down anti-aircraft. Would it? it would get okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm, it's 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 legit. So yeah, I mean, obviously some some degree of ignorance here, but um, the uh, the Las Vegas Fifty Ones, knowing how wacky minor league promotions are, uh, I think having your stand your fans storm the field uh, would have been an incredible <laughs> pro- good- incredible proxy for uh, for that. They just changed the Aviators this year. I bet they're so pissed. Oh yeah, they would have gotten unbelievable publicity from that. Oh my God, the so, the tweets they could have fired off. God, they are wow. That's that's really funny, actually. Um, huh? That's uh, that's me completely ignoring the actual baseball part of it. Taylor Baggett, Baggins, uh, I will not call him Taylor Gilbo, just Taylor Baggins. Uh, will be up soon. Elvis Alvarado seems like one for our uh, for our Bloomberg terminal terminal. Just a guy to uh, to watch. Uh, outfielder turned uh, turned pitcher. Um, we'll see, right? Yeah, we'll see. That's he's really far away. But like honestly, it would not surprise me if this guy uh, actually makes like some top thirty list. And I guess the thing that I should say when I keep mentioning top thirty, why top thirty is important. I always talk about the top 30 prospects. Like it's not just some arbitrary cutoff. Most prospect evaluators, there's a delineation between a guy who's a prospect and a guy who's just simply in your organization. And I think everyone kind of knows the difference, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I, that one. I would say the top 30 is what after top 30, you stop becoming a prospect and you start becoming just like an organizational filler. So once you're in that top 30, that's when people should probably start paying attention to what you're doing and, and how your, how your career is progressing. So I, it wouldn't surprise me in the next year or so if he's in the top 30. There we go. Uh, that's putting a bow on the, uh, the trade with the Washington nationals. 
let's do our ex-Mariner of the Week. There's a clear uh, quantitative answer to this. Nelson Cruz had three home runs in a game mm-hmm. for the second time in 10 days. Uh, we were talking before the show. He is raking best OPS of his career. Uh, Nelson Cruz is 39 years old. It's So we were, ta- we were discussing before the podcast started that we were discussing the merits of Nelson Cruz's Hall of Fame case. And I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that right now he's not a Hall of Famer. But, I mean, if he keeps going like this, as you know, who's to say three, four years from now, if he keeps this pace up, that he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, and especially if he just becomes a, a mercenary for teams that just want him to to take big swings and and uh, become their you know thirty five a home run you know uh, two hundred strikeout guy um, that uh, that could work out pretty well for him. I mean, if he ends up with five, uh, granted the one the one steroid pop uh, at one point in his career, <laughs> who knows? But uh, but yeah, we'll see. Um, but either way, a guy that was awesome for the Mariners, uh, we never did him enough justice. Uh, is doing well for the really, really fun to watch Minnesota Twins. Uh, a couple honorable mentions here. James Paxton was called the Astros answer in the New York Post. That can only work out well for him, right? Yeah, that's not going to do well. <laughs> I mean, the Astros are – there's uh, no answer to the Astros. The Astros are an unsolvable riddle. They, they are, are so good. They are Amazon, as I have called them. Uh, yeah, I like that. They are. They are just like this monolithic corporation <laughs> that just like squashes the little guy. Yeah, yeah. You look down at your like, uh, I don't know, the the plastic fork you're using, and there's just a Houston Astros logo on it. They own everything. Um, and then uh, here's one for you, and I might be able to catch you with this, but probably not. Uh, Robert Duggar is a former... I don't even know who that is. Okay, great. Uh, Ex-Mariner of the Week. Had to look him up because I was looking back at the legacy of the D. Gordon trade. Uh, Robert Duggar was one of the prospects that the Mariners gave out in that for D. Gordon. He is making his major league debut for the Marlins. Uh, maybe tonight, actually. Is he good? Nah. I mean, nah. I think he's like 26. That's the extent of my research, Phil. I, did, I, yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I just found the name. Um, well, good for him, though. Yeah, good for him. Uh, the Dave Sims Fedora, mine goes out to the National League for its bullshit uh, with, yeah. the, with the DH rule. I, I would agree with that, but let's see. I have another Dave Sims fedora. I think my Dave Sims fedora this week is going to be Joe Torrey. Wow. All right. Yeah. Did he did he uh, get in a fight at his retirement home or what happened? No, you know Joe Torrey's in charge of like the discipline for uh, like Major League Baseball now, right? Like when people get suspended, he's the one who decides how long their suspension is. Oh, and okay. So I did not know that, but yeah, makes sense. Okay. He's, so, he's a former cop being a, a, a Yankees manager. The Pirate, yeah, basically he is. The Pirates, do you know uh, the history about like the Pittsburgh Pirates and how they always get into fights? Uh, well, we were watching a former Pittsburgh Pirate strike a, a, a sausage mascot before this podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, we should talk about, oh man, that should have been the fedora. But no, so the Pirates, Clint Hurdle is their manager and basically their pitching philosophy is to basically just bust people inside as much as possible. Not they, you they really want to control the inside of the strike zone, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, it inevitably ends in them hitting more batters and guys in the head all the time. So teams have been getting so pissed off at them. 
and for good reason. Like they hit more batters, and they're they're the way they pitch is actually pretty dangerous. So they got in this fight. At, I'm I'm sure you saw it with Yasiel Puig and that one guy who just went commando on them and just yeah, like former <laughs> charged former, their whole dugout by former St. John's basketball player doesn't give a shit about about. Uh, about you know what fighting. that reminded me of was Leroy the Leroy Jenkins. Have a you seen little. that YouTube video? You ha- you asked me like these things that are just like. I don't think I would have been allowed to graduate middle school if I hadn't seen Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, okay. So he reminded me of Leroy Jenkins when he just went and ran at their dugout with no plan. But it was awesome. It was hilarious. But Joe Torre is just – like, and then David Bell, the manager of the Reds, like was – who is also a former Mariner. Maybe he's going to be my former yep. Mariner of the week. But um, he got into a scuffle. He was on the ground. He did like the Jeff Van Gundy, like trying to hold his player's leg while the player was dragging <laughs> him. You know, he did that whole thing. But anyway, Joe Torre is just like the suspensions that came down were so stupid. None of the Pirates got punished really that bad, and everyone on the Reds got punished. And it was just—it's just not a good look for baseball because the, the Pirates are like a well-known bully in baseball, and they don't get punished ever for these things. Yeah, uh, I don't think Randall Simon ever got punished enough for uh, for again striking a mascot with a baseball bat. Uh, yeah, dude, whoever the Pirates owner is must be buddy buddy with like the the, the owners or the commissioner's office cheap shot yeah my going back to that uh just j- we found out before the podcast all you have to do do is google uh pirate sausage hit and you will find what we're talking about randall simon uh cheap shotting the guy at the milwaukee brewers game uh who is running around in a in an oscar meyer costume um it could have killed the guy uh pretty crazy i can't imagine it's him that. pretty hard like not <laughs> not the- not a love tap in the back of the head, which is like prime concussion territory. So who knows if if, uh, if Oscar Meyer ever got checked out after he got railed uh, by a baseball player. Uh, Yellow Hydro of the week. Mine is going to Reggie McLean, who made his major league debut that's awesome. that's in a good Houston. One. Um, and I think that's the only good part about uh, making a major league debut, playing the, or pitching against the Houston Astros, is that you get the Yellow Hydro for uh, – being a good sport about it and not crying on the mound like the rest of us would. Yeah, that would be that'd be terrifying to make your major league debut against them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to do one really quick, and then maybe we can discuss him for a minute if he's good or not because I feel like we haven't discussed this guy at all. But uh, Austin Nola. Yeah. He's pretty. He's been pretty good, right? I mean, I know he's 29 years old and he's like not like amazing, you know, whatever. But like. Is is this guy good? Like he's been good for a while now. Is Austin Nola our Ben Zobrist? That would be amazing. That would be like the so that's kind of the thing I wanted to say is like every team that's good or has been good in the last ten years has gotten randomly like amazing contributions from guys who were like not even on the radar. Uh, you can talk about Chris Taylor and Max Muncy with the Dodgers. Jose Altuve wasn't a very good prospect when he came up with the Astros. You know, there's every team who's been really good in the last 10 years has had these random breakout guys who were like, wow, where did that guy come from? And no one could see it coming. I would really, really be encouraged if Austin Nola becomes that guy for the Mariners. Austin Nola is either Ben Zobrist or Bobby Madrish. There is no in-between. No (laughs) in-between, yeah. He's either out of the league next year or he's going to be like – Great. He's either the the lone bright spot on a otherwise really really bad team and something to look forward to next year or something to get hopeful about next year and then ultimately uh, ends up being nothing or 
he is a piece going forward, and I don't think there's any wiggle room in my mind for for those. And two if outcomes. he's a piece going forward, that's huge for like the Mariners. That's a, another feather in the cap for the Mariners because he came out of nowhere. Granted, a 29 year old piece, um, and so maybe the piece his his greatest contribution as a Mariner will become a being a trade chip this summer or next next uh, or sorry trade chip this winter or next summer. Yeah, um, I mean, which in that case, God bless you, Austin. You did your job. <laughs> There's just going to be this army of of departed Depoto soldiers that uh, <laughs> that ser- served their cause by going <laughs> elsewhere. Um, Robinson Cano's hamstring being being one of them. Oh, uh, poor guy. Yeah, just a graveyard. Um, yeah, bad week for former uh, former M's and hamstrings. Uh, I think Gene Segura got hurt this week too. He did. He did. I saw that. God, did, did we just infect all of them before they left? Yeah, I I don't know. But Paxton's like, I'm been hurt. So, I'm so happy. Maybe we can put to rest the like, why do they get better thing for a little while? You know. Yeah, yeah. Just give us a month. We just need to 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 not have to deal with the stress of a bad team and uh, other guys performing. Uh, but Nelson Cruz is doing enough for all of them. So yeah, but I I like when Nelson does good because it's not. I don't know. It's, he's different to me. Yeah. I still I never got my promotional. Remember when he first got there and they were putting those like fake. Uh, like your car window got smashed by a Nelson uh-huh. Cruz oh, home yeah. run you put in the Seattle. Ball. Yeah, yeah, and then it showed. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I wish I had one of those. I never got that one. That would be fun. I would put that on my back window. I was. We were both very skeptical, <laughs> notably very skeptical. I mean, uh, the podcast publicly, is still unofficially called "Refuse to Cruise." Exactly. Uh, publicly skeptical of Nelson Cruz um, yeah. as a Mariner, despite his success, or really before his success. I will say that um, we can plead that. Yeah. Man, it'd be fun to go back and listen to those because not that we're polished by any means, but that was um, that was that was like low minors ball. <laughs> I said we're in like du- we're in like double A now. We, Maybe we, we're getting close to triple A promotion. We were running on fumes and Coors Light back then, and yeah, uh, we were taking Coors into into the study rooms at Packar. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we've come a long way now. Yeah, man. And it's only gonna get better as the Mariners get better. And That's as our true. audience grows. Yeah. Uh, although, who knows if our powers will be sapped once the Mariners are good. Like, we, we, we don't have anything to talk about anymore. We don't know yeah, what to do. Yeah, I don't – honestly, I don't even know what I would talk about if the Mariners were good. It's going to be like – it will come. The day will come where we're going to be on this podcast and the Mariners are good and, like, not just, like, flash in the pan 15 and 2 start good. Like, they're actually good. And I don't know if we're, like, actually uh, equipped for that. It'll give us perspective. We'll have uh, yeah. we'll have a good uh, good good grasp on how to how to um, manage expectations once they actually exist. Um, yeah, because we've we've gotten ourselves excited about Milton Bradley and Carl Everett and uh, Pokey Reese and a whole. Can bunch you imagine of... <laughs> to get when we get excited about actually good players? It's going to be amazing. Man, oh man! Yep, when we're thirty two years old, it'll be it'll be so fun. <laughs> Uh, all right, Phil. This was uh, this is great. I'm um, I'm still feeling horrible about this this uh, this team in the next year, but uh, at least I had fun for the last hour. Yeah, at least we get to talk about it. There we go. Misery loves company. And at least I have baseball trade values because now I know I spend my yeah, time. Yeah, see, we would have never had that if the Mariners had been good. I probably wouldn't have even been on that website. Nope, nope. Just been screaming into the microphone about uh, about why Austin Nola is an MVP candidate. <laughs> So we'll save that for next week. Uh, All right, Phil, uh, we'll talk to you then. All right, buddy. See you soon. Peace.